Welcome back to Millennial Manhood, everyone. This is your host, Yavitsa Djurjevic, and today I've got Trey Burns with me. Uh, Trey, for folks who don't know you, give us a 10,000-foot view of, of Trey. All right. Well, uh, thanks for having me this morning or afternoon, whenever they're listening to this. Yeah, my name is Trey. Um, I, from South Carolina, uh, currently work at a water plant, but one of my roles is public outreach and speaking and engagements and those kind of things. And so I do a lot of career development, some chamber of commerce stuff. And whenever I speak, I always had to preface because teachers will ask me to come in and speak to their students and whatnot. Um, I have to preface and tell them, look, if you're looking for, hey, this guy went to college, got a degree, he found his career and he is on his trajectory. I said, I'm not your guy, uh, but I've learned a lot along the way. I graduated Clemson in civil engineering. Uh, so Clemson a lot of people don't know where that is. Some do if you watch college football. We're kind of on the map now, but not. It's in the upstate of South Carolina. So went to Clemson, graduated civil engineering to actually be an intern at a church um, in youth ministry. So hmm. graduated Clemson with the civil engineering degree, uh, came out and was a uh, working 25 hours a week, um, $10 an hour as a youth intern. I just started volunteering at this church and college and just really found my passion. I went to college to be an engineer because I was decent at math and I heard engineers made a lot of money and that was about it. Also like Clemson football. And so halfway through, um, really found, started to figure out what I was passionate about. And so pursued that also as a part-time janitor and landscaper because thankfully I had great parents who said, hey, when you leave at 18, you're not coming back. So thankful for that upbringing and just kind of really figured out, learn how to hustle my first year out of college. Got hired full-time. I uh, was a youth pastor for six years at a church in South Carolina. Uh, part of part of my role there was a lot of different ministries, a lot of different like new teams, just kind of figured it out through uh, leadership and volunteers and got to launch a new campus. Uh, got there and uh, met my wife. I got married. We got two boys now, seven and three. And that's been an adventure on its own. Uh, but one of those things in marriage can't really explain when you know, your wife looks at you and says, I don't know, I think it's time maybe for you to step down. Things are going great. And it's like, oh, I don't know. And then of course, you know, three, four months later, it's like, yeah, maybe so. So <laughs> I still, still love the church. Uh, I'm still a part of it, but just put in my two weeks really without a plan. And then found that Chick-fil-A was hiring for a leadership development program. So basically you part of this program, you get hired and the goal is for you to become an owner operator of a Chick-fil-A one day. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of leadership and entrepreneurship is really exciting to me. So I said, yes, let's do this. Hopped in and opening shifts, closing shifts. Um, you know, you know how retail is. Uh, weekends are your money days, holidays are your money days. So I learned a lot, 60 hour weeks, 70 hour weeks. And that was a lot of fun figuring it out. But my next step was to start traveling the country and I looking at my family behind me and I said, I like it, but I don't love chicken that much. So put in my two weeks again without a plan. I ended up here at the water plant where I've been the last two and a half years. So I was a co-op here at Clemson uh, about 10 years ago, legit put in my two weeks at Chick-fil-A, gave him a call to nowhere, said, hey, you know of any job opportunities? And here I am. Uh, what, what really drew me here was they had two general ideas of what they wanted but weren't sure. And so I actually wrote my job description six months after I was hired. And I'm still writing it as I go. So just kind of the idea of here's a general vision, here's your budget, uh, go figure it out is what I found. Again, I'm still only 32, so I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, but I'm having a lot of fun along the way. So 
that's my, my W2, uh, working at a water plant. I'm on my lunch break now, getting to be on a part of a podcast and also doing real estate on the side. I spent a lot of fun doing some property managing, some flipping, actually built a house last year and uh, also uh, certified John Maxwell uh, coach, speaker and, and trainer. So that was kind of a long answer, but there's really no short answer um, to that. So that's, Oh, that's that was me. awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I want to dive into something immediately. So you gave your two weeks notice at Chick-fil-A. You said, I'm done with this, not traveling the country, et cetera. And then you went to a job where you wrote your own job description. So I'm assuming, and this drives me insane. When people are looking for a job, they damn near treat the job search like it's some mythical creature that they have to go find in the woods somewhere. Um, and they're just sending out job applications and, and, and quite frankly, just not looking. I mean, they're, they're claiming they're looking, but they're not really. I'm assuming you didn't go on Indeed and fill out an app for this job that you ended up writing your job description for. No, that's, that's funny you mentioned I'm laughing because uh, <laughs> this idea that if my LinkedIn profile was good enough, you know, that, that's what it requires to get a job. That happens for some, but I've yet to be contacted or get offered a job through LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, it's cool, whatever. I mean, there's, there's, there's actually full classes now in college telling students to polish up your LinkedIn profile. Hmm. And it's, it's, it comes down to it, like everything else in life, it's relationships, it's who you know. And that's not privilege, that's not, I mean, that's just reality, it's who you know. And so you're right, and I uh, put in my two weeks and just started making phone calls. And uh, thankfully I left on good terms at this place 10 years ago. Legitimately hadn't talked to him in 10 years and hadn't been in engineering at all since I graduated with engineering. And uh, they took a risk on me. I'm thankful for that. But uh, thankfully I didn't burn the bridge and went to be this pastor instead. And they were cool with that. And 10 years later, they had a need. They liked my background as, uh, as a youth worker and Chick-fil-A, very service oriented. So it's a public utility. They said, we want to really embrace our role as a public utility. So here I am. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest too. What uh, a lot of this podcast may not share the same view. My spiritual view is what got me through. That's why I saw I can put in my two weeks and not worry. Uh, just, I believe God's got a plan for me and I'm his child. And as I'm obedient, he'll honor that. And I'm 32 years in, he's yet to let me down. So that's really what kind of gives me that extra kind of drive. And, you know, especially with a family of four, I'm quit, quit with a two week notice and no plan. It's like, well, that's dumb. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but I'm also now in a, a dream job working, you know, four 10 hour shifts Monday through Thursday, every Friday off. I mean, it's, it's great. Yeah. So talk about the, the Chick-fil-A experience. Cause there's like a cold following around Chick-fil-A. You know, <laughs> Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A chicken is delicious. Um, it's the greatest chicken ever. Let's just be real. Yeah. But what is it like being in the training program to own a Chick-fil-A? I mean, and everybody knows the story about they basically want you to do every job um, in the store so that you would be able to do it when you're an owner. Um, but yeah, just talk a little bit about that. Cause I've actually never talked to someone who, uh, who was in that program. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's designed to pretty much uh, build grit in you. Um, it's, you know, a lot of the applicants in this program are fresh out of college and uh, just being frank that the typical college graduate these days struggles with, you know, blue collar hustle, get it done type mentality. They're super intellectually smart, um, which mm -hmm. is a huge plus, but as far as just kind of the old school, get in there, get dirty, 
you know, I'm washing dishes till 1 a.m., going home to my family to open the next morning. I mean, that's what they're trying to ingrain in you. And they do a really good job of that. And, uh, you know, they, they also, at the same time, they're looking at constant number. That's why Chick-fil-A, their drive throughs have not missed a beat. And if you've been around the block during COVID-19, all other restaurants are struggling. I went to Popeye's for the first time last week about, you know, this new chicken sandwich. I went at 1.30 and there's no dine-in experience. All they have to do is do drive through I timed it. 24 plus minutes I waited for one sandwich. And it was good, but it wasn't that good. And so yeah. Chick-fil-A, it's, it's, they're already conditioned for something like this. They got the iPads outside. They're already doing it. Um, and so that's, and you're, you know, I'm the worst position I hated. Uh, you learn what positions you're decent at and good at. And you also see the value of people and your, your team. Cause it's not, they don't use the word employees. It's, it's your team. You're all part of a team. And so when you're leading a shift, you're in position. So we have a sheet that says, you know, whatever position you're in, well, if you're running that shift, you're going to be in position, meaning most likely uh, bagging or something so you can see the kitchen and see the front counter and see drive through. We call it the cockpit. And you're running things from right there and you're calling the shots. And it's a lot of fun because you're seeing the numbers. You want to get drive through, you know, our personal different operators have different goals. Ours was if we, if someone waits two and a half minutes for their food, then we failed. And so it's mm. a very high standard. And so you bring these, I mean, 16 year olds in there and because you've already established the culture of excellence, I mean, it's like, you don't waste steps. If I take two steps towards the drink machine, well, I better have something in my, in my hand to bring towards the drink machine that I need over there instead of, you mm. know, so it's, it conditions you to think that way, which is super, super valuable. And so I've learned lessons I've, I've learned there. I'm now taking into, you know, uh, utility world. Uh, just about efficiency and not wasting steps, not wasting time. So that's what it's like. It's like a pressure cooker and some fall out, you know, for me, it's like, I got, it's like I got through the hard part. I was actually leading shifts and starting to, then my next step though, is just my family of four. You could travel the country in this um, interim manager program for anywhere from a year to five years. You just don't know. The reason every restaurant is uh, pristine service and people actually smile at you is because they protect their culture. And the way they do that is they, they still only launch about a hundred restaurants a year and they take pains to make sure they have the right operator in the right city. Mm. And so the guy I work for, I think had eight different stops. Like, so what happens when a, they do a grand opening for a Chick-fil-A, you'll go in the interim manager program, you'll run that Chick-fil-A until they find the right operator. Then you'll go to another one. And, or if somebody gets fired or someone retires, you go and lead that one until they find a permanent replacement, but they take pains to not only find the right operator, but also the right operator in the right city. Yeah. And so that's why, I mean, this crisis hits and everybody's talking, you see all the memes about if Chick-fil-A ran the COVID testing could be done. That's, that's accurate. It's like, and you still look around these other restaurants. It's like, you see Chick-fil-A killing you in every numeric possible on, on six days a week versus seven and they're still crushing you and yet they don't do anything i mean the average mcdonald's when i was there was doing like two and a half million a year the average chick-fil-a was at five and yep. mcdonald's is 24 7 seven days a week and chick-fil-a is usually seven ish to ten ish six days a week uh, it's just kind of it's baffling to me if i had a fast food restaurant i'm not sure why i'm not trying to get better but uh that's what Chick-fil-A was, man. It's just constant drive to improve, but also at the same time, uh, not sacrificing relationships and people for profit. And so they really do value people there. So that's so why people, people show up. They're, they're not getting paid absorbent. I mean, we were paying people, I mean, minimum wage. 
and they were coming to work for Chick-fil-A as opposed to other restaurants because they know they're, you know, shift leader is going to care about them. It's interesting. You made me think of my first job and the contrast. So, and to make it very clear before I say this, I actually really enjoyed my first job. I learned a lot. But you know what my first job was? Tell me. My first official job, like actually on the payroll, not cutting grass, things like that. Yeah. Uh, I was a bus boy at Chili's back in the day when Chili's still had bus boys. Okay. And if I tell you that it's the most disgusting job you could possibly ever have, I'm probably understating it. Man, oh man, was that nasty. Um, just by the nature of not, not that the store was dirty or anything like that, but just by the nature of being a busboy. So, but I'm, I'm thinking about the process and, and, and the structure of the place. I mean, it was just like the most ratchet place ever we had. I remember one Saturday morning, this chick came in who was a stripper who this guy owed money to. So she chased him through the store. Um, there was like, drug deals happening outside in the parking lot. There was all <laughs> kinds of crap that was happening. Uh, and this was like in a decent t- part of town. Yep. But what I vividly remember, like it's yesterday. So as a busboy, obviously, I had to clean up all the tables, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like physically grueling because Chick-fil-A back in the day had those stupid glass mugs for their drinks. So you get your tub and you fill it up with like 20 of these mugs. So you're carrying like a hundred and something pounds just across the store over and over and over again. And you fill it all up and you put it in a trash bag and then you go behind the store because you got to throw things into the dumpster. I remember it, it made me, it makes me angry to this day. The dumpster was not accessible to us. It was behind like, like a, a wired fence. Didn't trust us to have access to the damn dumpster. So I would have to I would have to take these bags, these ridiculously heavy bags full of trash, and I would have to basically shop put them over this fence into the dumpster. And I remember one day, it was the end of the shift. It was probably one o'clock in the morning, and it's one of the last bags. I'm just ready to go home. I'm tired. I'm wearing Crocs because they're non-slip. It's the most frustrating thing in the world, and. I grab this bag and I start swinging it and I swing it to, to the top as I'm about to let go, it breaks and the entire bag just unloads on me. And, uh, I just remember being angry at the time thinking, you know, if I just had access to the, to the damn dumpster without having to shop, put things over it, it would have never happened. So it's really hard to come in with a smile after something like that happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's all kind of, I mean, just, fast food retail just in general there's always someone coming so there's always constant production and so it it forces you unless you just want to run yourself into the ground it forces you to man i really need to develop a team i need to let some things go and and part of that is trust and part of that's a little bit risky because anytime you let something go to someone else well of course you're not going to do it as good as you if i've been running shifts for three months and I give someone else a chance. Well, of course they're not going to do it as good as me, but I've got to have enough of the big picture. And that's part of this coaching and training culture, no matter if it's Chick-fil-A or a water plant or, you know, a church, that's got to be part of it to to not just like get ahead, but like to to survive, you know, you can't be running 78 hours a week and uh, have a family or have any kind of really life outside of just that business. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. I'm not pretending to know what it's like to own a small business. I've worked in them. I've worked close to them. But I've never fully 
felt what they feel. So I'm not discounting how hard it is. I just, a lot of guys I know have done it. And that's, that's usually the, the, the pivotal moment is when they trust and develop. And again, it's not just dumping stuff on people. It's truly developing people uh, to do what they've done so they can then go do something else and take it further and faster. Yep. Well, and I mean, there's, there's so many topics we go, we go down that route, but uh, I want to dig a little bit deeper into set what you said about, you know, they focus on building grit in you. What would you say? I'm assuming you built grit before you started working at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Just listen to your story. I mean, what was, was it the way you were raised? Was it some certain experience? What kind of helped you wrap your head around some of that blue collar work that built the discipline and, and understanding of what hard work is that, that led you to, for example, the real estate investing, what's connected to that real estate investing. That is not necessarily blue collar work in a traditional sense, unless you're, I guess you're fixing up. If you're flipping something and you're personally fixing up and doing the work. Yeah. Then it is. Uh, but even, even then it's different because you're working for the profit of the flip, et cetera. But what was, was there just a mindset that you grew up with? Um, that really drove you into that direction? I had, yeah, I had great parents. I think that was a huge part. I mean, you know, I paid for my first car in high school and uh, they, they paid half, I paid half. And so they kind of instilled that in me to play basketball growing up. So there's some of those, but I'm telling you when I really learned what that was, was just being around other guys that had it. And women could have it too. I'm just saying for me as a, as a young man at the time, around men that, understood that and really there's a there's a book a uh, really popular book now called extreme ownership by a former navy seal and i was thankfully taught that before the book came out and the premise of the book is extreme ownership is everything is my fault if i'm involved i take responsibility period not everything's my fault it's probably a bad way of saying it that can lead to shame and guilt but if i'm involved it's my responsibility so yeah, I've, I've had a side hustle ever since. Like, I mean, I've, I've done all kind of weird stuff. I've installed satellites. Uh, I've, uh, you know, even working for the church. You know, the church schedule was Sunday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. And because I worked late Wednesday night for youth, youth night, I have a half day on Thursday. So as a, young, as a single guy, I would have uh, Thursday afternoon off, Friday off, and Saturday. And I remember talking to a mentor. This guy's probably in his 60s. Again, this, these, are, these are men I surrounded myself with. I remember taking him out. To, to eat a bagel actually because I was struggling with two and a half days off and I looked at him I said man like what am I I feel like I'm just you know a bore I don't know what to do it's two and a half days and he looked at me and again this is in a context of a spiritual sense he said the Bible says work six days anything else <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation <laughs> I said check please that's all I needed and so thankfully men like that have poured into me and I've seen it modeled and uh, my favorite word in the entire dictionary is the word zeal. Uh-huh. And, and uh, zeal by definition is enthusiastic devotion to an idea, cause, or goal, and tireless diligence in its furtherance. And that's part of that, I don't know, personality you could, I guess, but that's just me. If I dive into it, I mean, there's just the desire to grow and make it better. And, I've got to be careful that I don't get into you know workaholic mindset that I do too much. I mean, but you go back to the real estate uh, last year before 2019 calendar flipped. I'd never bought a house, flipped a house, built a house, 
man, none of that. Not even a personal house for your family? Not even a personal house. Okay. And by the time, and then last year, uh, a friend of mine from Hawaii called me. I live in South Carolina. He said, hey, I'm looking at buying a house out South Carolina and making a rental. You want to flip it? I said, sure, we'll figure it out. I bought a personal house as a live-in flip. I slept on an air mattress and for three, four months and flipped it. So I'm helping him um, while doing mine. Also part of this really cool project to the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, long story, basically our class project was to build a house and give it away. I ended up being the class representative for that. So I bought a piece of property, found some, we found some plans and literally everything is now, I was over there earlier today uh, trying to put the final touches on it. So that happened that a friend of mine from another city called me and said, hey, I got a few uh, rentals in Anderson. I don't live there anymore. You want to manage them? I said, sure. So it's just now all of a sudden a year later uh, with somebody with no real estate experience, with no flipping experience, it, what, it, what it showed me was too, of it grew my mind even because I was growing like by my hands, meaning I never thought I could put crown molding up. <laughs> I never thought that I could, you know, when I pull a toilet up and the whole subfloor is leaking that I knew how to cut it out. I didn't. I was like, it can't be that hard. I mean, and so that's what I've It's learned. definitely not rocket science. It's not, right? You take it apart, but it's kind of, it was just a limitation I put on myself. So that's for the professionals. I'll screw this up. Then I realized, well, then I start looking at actually houses, you know, quote unquote, nice, really nice houses. And I'm like, well, they just, they caught that hole just like I did. <laughs> so mm-hmm. caulk's your best friend when it comes to flipping. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, so I had great parents and I think uh, more so I was surrounded by a lot of the right people. And for me, that came through the church. And that's just kind of that mindset that now my, my, my two sons, seven and three years old is a mindset I want to pass on to them. And hopefully not through like teaching and just through my example. Yeah. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into what you're learning from real estate. So, you know, the, the, and I'll get on my soapbox here, but I personally think it's the best way to build wealth and it's not even close um, remotely. I mean, if you can, if you can build a robust real estate portfolio, you're setting yourself up pretty sweet, uh, especially if you actually know what you're doing. That's the key. A lot of people out there get in trouble because they have zero idea what they're doing. They're, they're full-time doctor and part-time real estate investor. That's how you get crushed. Okay. You can't make it just a part-time thing that you uh, pay attention to once every couple months or so. It, it needs to be a focal point uh, within your life. But as you as you see what's possible in the last year and a half with what you've been doing, I mean, how has your vision expanded for your family with what you can build in that world? That's a great question. How has your vision expanded for your family? That's, I mean, all of a sudden, um, my vision for my two sons is to give them a house when they're eighteen, free and clear. So mm, you're speaking my love language. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the practical ways. Instead of I, didn't, I never liked the idea of saving up for college. Cause I just, you know, there's a lot of do's and don't, I mean, there's no right or wrong way for me. I was, I just don't like that idea. Well, in real estate, I can do what I enjoy and still build them a, you know, a house free and clear. So assuming they're responsible at 18, it's not a given. I'm not going to tell them I'm doing this, but they can, get, they can sell the house if they want to go to college, they can live in it. They can rent it for income. They can do whatever they want with it. But that's kind of a way I want to, as far as a vision for my family. And what it's also shown me is, uh, really, I, mean, I don't say this lightly, but there's a life-changing book, and I'm sure you've read it, called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Preach. And I don't, uh, I can't name many life-changing books, but that is... Like, life 
changing. Yes. And you underlined, bolded, italicized. Absolutely. And I've told it other people, my sons will definitely read it. It'll, I, that is one thing I'll require them to do. You need you read this because it's, it's so, it makes so much sense. It's like, it's almost stupid. <laughs> like, yes. And so you mentioned real estate. It's like, well, every, almost every tax law we have is designed to do real estate. And it, we're all operating under the same laws. We're just unaware of them. Yep. And so, I mean, it's even to the point where I mean, my dad's retirement age and he's learning, though, I can take my retirement and invest it and avoid taxes that way. And it's, he's doing it as like a new career. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's like, I got maybe to 85, I got another 20 year career and this is my career now. So now not Instead only does of getting it, old and decrepit and falling apart and dying you're exactly right. because Instead, he has no purpose. Yeah, you're exactly right. I've never had like the idea of retirement. Um, and it also gives us something to do as a father and a son. And so, and he's already, I mean, he's got already got a vacation rental now that he got and he for real estate and rented out and then COVID hit. Well, now he gets to enjoy it. So it's benefits to our family. I mean, there's all, it's just opened up a whole nother realm of thinking. It's like a whole nother stratosphere. Um, That's literally the story that my dad and I went through and are going through. Um, I was actually talking to my wife literally Saturday. Um, the place that we live in right now is not a long-term place. I really bought it for as a rental unit after we move out and an appreciation. The part of town is just a very strategic purchase. And I was telling Tamara, my wife, you know, we don't have any kids yet, but hopefully sooner than later, as soon as our first kid turns three, we refinance this place. Um, after we've already moved out. So we've already been renting and cash flowing it. But the moment he turns three, we refinance it, put on a 15 year note, figure out the math, have the rental payoff the entire note within 15 years to give him the house free and clear Um, or her or however many kids we have or whatever it may be. And at that point you've got options. You can say, Hey, maybe you got a full right to college, go to town. Here's an asset or an asset that I own, by the way, not that my child owns an asset that I own. Yes. Or maybe, um, or maybe, Hey, we need money for college. So instead of you becoming a slave to student loans, Yep of a machine that is that lets you sign away your life at 18 without even running a credit check yep. and no underwriting. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. Let's take it's a amazing. home equity loan against the property and then let the cash flow from the rent pay it back. Yep. You know, there, I mean, there's give yourself options. People don't let yourself be like the, the mistake we've made as a society is we've allowed for the powers of be to shove things down our throat as if it's gospel truth. And then we're slaves for the rest of our life. Yeah, that, and I'm going to be honest, man, that like this whole virus has highlighted that. And I'm talking like friends of mine that I love and respect and would run through a wall for, take a bullet for. And I'm sure I'm susceptible to it too, but I'm looking at people just not, I mean, one of the, one of the things I took from school, it wasn't a whole, it was one of the things I took was our citation page. You had to, whenever you wrote a paper, you had to, you know, quote your sources. Mm Mm-hmm. And now we think Googling our preconceived theory and finding a source. A, yeah, a quote unquote study or a mythical poll that was done. We just, you know, copy and paste that. And, oh, it proves my theory. And it's like oh, confirmation bias. Yeah, it is. And it's just this this calculated thought. I mean, the brains that we're all given. And, you know, we're, uh, as far as a healthy conflict and dialogue, everyone's so diametrically opposed. I mean, it breaks my heart. I mean, it's like, and if you speak up against something, will they just assign a label to you? 
Well, it's, it's being intellectually lazy. So yeah. the intellectually lazy assign rules of thumb. It's, it's as simple as that. If you're going by rules of thumb, if you're going by uh, the belief systems that you already have, just, to, just admit it. Just admit you're being lazy. I'll have more respect for you at that point. And I don't, look, ask anybody I know. I have zero issue going into confrontation with people. And I have zero issue with debating with people. You know what else I have zero issue with? Changing my mind. Yep. Okay. Bring, the, bring information to the table. Let's discuss it. And if your information makes more sense, there's no shame in changing your mind. Stop being so damn proud about your opinion. You're not that special. Yes. And then what, what I've learned how to, cause I love healthy dialogue because I'm like you, I'm like, man, I'm, I feel really passionate about this. And quite frankly, if you can't come as passionate as me about a certain issue and you just divert, cause this is, this is the trap that a lot of these arguments fall into. They'll kind of lure you in and you get in and you're just, you're just speaking your mind. You're not saying any insults. There's nothing personal. But then they'll back door, they'll back out and immediately sign. I mean, I've been, I mean, countless situations. Let's speak about college loans, for example, student loans. Mm -hmm. You say anything other than, I mean, I've been, I just quit engaging these conversations at this point. And I always ask them, hey, are you open for a solution or not? Or you just want to gripe? And if they're not, that's fine. Thanks for being honest. Because if I give any kind of solution that, that doesn't, that does not, the government needs to pay off my loans, then I'm privileged. Mm. I mean, legitimately, I've been in countless conversations. Like, look, I, I had student loans coming out. I owed $21,500 and I paid them off in 18 months, making $10 an hour on three part-time jobs while paying bills. And I don't say it to brag. I'm just like. You made it a priority. Exactly. And I learned to hustle. And one of my jobs was a janitor during that time. And one of my jobs was every Thursday at this church, I would clean out the refrigerator because they didn't come back for Sunday. Well, guess what my leftovers were? <laughs> I mean, we, when we hosted events, Chick-fil-A catered a lot of events for this church, a, a pretty a large church. And leftover Chick-fil-A, I took all of them, put them in my freezer. I mean, it's like, and, and I also knew what I signed off on. Like, I signed off on those loans, therefore they're my responsibility. It's just, a, it's baffling to me, this mindset of, yeah, I signed off on the loans. And then, you know, four years later to college, I'm just gonna, not going to pay him or default and complain about him. It's like, that was your decision, bro. Like, you made that decision. No one forced you to go. <laughs> and now you're coming out saying, well, you know, it's not paying off. Well, you knew that going in. That's pretty obvious now that the majority of jobs do not pay off student loans. I would, I would challenge you on one mindset there. Yep, tell me. Um, the whole nobody forced you to go part, I would disagree with that. I would say society forces you to go, primarily because we look down upon trade jobs so much. I mean, if, if any kid right now, um, if they decide to go to college, they're almost an outcast in society at a very young, impressionable, and early age. Their dating prospects are lower. Their job prospects are lower. Uh, just their social prospects are lower. And I wish it wasn't that way because I think there's a lot of honor in being a damn good plumber, for example, and you make a ton of money if you own your plumbing business, but it's just not the case. Um, and that's something that I wish we could fix to where we could bring, bring honor back to the trade jobs. Yeah. And see, I, I just, I see some of that, but I, like you said, I guess being in, a little bit of real estate now, like you said, these trade jobs are pretty much naming their price. Right? They do whatever. <laughs> like they're, they're not cheap. 
Yeah. Um, I guess what you're saying is, uh, I guess it's societal pressure. You think? Yeah, I'm talking about more about the social aspect. I mean, make yourself 18. And the most important thing in the world to you at 19 is your dating opportunity. That's it. Like, <laughs> buy everything, everything both men and women do at that age revolves around found, finding a mate, period. Okay. Um, directly or indirectly. So yeah, there, there's a, there's, it doesn't, it, I mean, it's almost insane to me. Think about it. If you left at 18 and started in real estate as a realtor, you don't need a college license for it. And you went out and crushed and you were making six figures by, by, uh, by year four, your prospects for prosperity are significantly larger than somebody who leaves school with a marketing degree. Yep. But societally speaking, because we've made that such a taboo, taboo and made it so dirty in a way, um, you, your, your social interactions have been lowered. Yeah, I agree with you there. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. So it's, it's all it's almost like there's there's this like concert like it's almost like there's this like planned effort by society to like force you into this mindset and force you into this world. And and I went to college and I loved it. And it was for me. But I know plenty of people I went to school with who had no business being there. Yep. And that's where I would uh challenge all of us to in that scenario, I agree that the predominant narrative is I mean for me growing up, that was it. You know, it was like going to college, period. There wasn't a, a plan B. And I just did it. I just, again, I'm not mad at my parents. I'm not blaming. I just, that's just what it was. And I think when I was a youth pastor, I, I had a lot of high schoolers, and they're facing these big decisions. Do I do military? Do I do a job? Do I do whatever uh, college? Uh, what, what, what do I need to do? And I said, I can't tell you what to do. Um, but I, what I tried to do when I was a youth pastor, I try to do now with people is just build uh, – uh, yeah, there are, I think, preordained, whatever you want to call it, societal norms and, like you said, uh, viewpoints. But I think if we can uh, teach people, I think you, that's what you would agree with this too, and, and train people to think independently um, and approach it from that aspect versus, I don't think you're saying this, blaming, well, because society does this or because I can't get a girlfriend, well, I had to go to college. I don't think that's what you're saying. Is that what you're saying? So I was just saying from a purely societal standpoint, and it might just be the region that I'm in. It might be, shoot, it might be me just projecting my own life experience onto other folks, but <laughs> there's a million different things that could be happening. Sure. Um, it just, like I said, it just seems like, you go at 17, there's just this incredible amount of pressure to exclusively make the college route the route to go. And, and well, actually, I am saying if it's right or wrong. I think that's wrong. I, I don't think. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, I don't think that should be the only option. Um, but it is. And, and it is what it is. But there's also, I mean, the cheap student loans have made it super expensive. Because that's how colleges are able to afford to keep raising tuition over and over again. There's basically yeah. like a, a cold war of universities happening where they're just all needing the nicest crap possible. To oh, make yeah. Everything as expensive as possible. So, yep. I don't I mean, I don't know. This might be a completely different topic for a different podcast since I know we're coming up on time. But that, that's, my, that's my gear I'm grinding today. Sure. Well, yeah, I think, you know, people choose colleges now based on the living arrangements, the meal plans, the facilities. I mean, that's what they're basing their decision on. It's not education's almost, I mean, it's important, but it's almost become secondary to the experience they have on campus. Yeah. 100%. Um, one other thing I wanted to follow up with before we, before we wrap this up. So you do a lot of public speaking. 
and people would rather, you know, be the one who uh, be the dead person at the funeral and speak at a funeral, apparently. So how did you how did you really develop your skill set around public speaking? Because personally, I love public speaking. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, but I know a lot of people hate it and are terrified of it. So give us a give us a little bit of your background there. Yeah, I used to be terrified too. And I used to be, I used to get so nervous just in, and even in high school, even in college, man, I would just, uh, uh, I had no self-confidence. And so I would like, for example, in college, Clemson was a very open campus as far as like outdoor open. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I walked to class and I had to walk up, you know, three, four flights of stairs outside and outside in South Carolina and the majority of the time is very humid and hot. And so I just like sweat and I get so self-conscious that everyone would just see me sweat. I'd bury my head in class. I'd start sweating even more. And then I'd have to go to the bathroom and like wipe off the sweat from my, from my forehead and my face. And that's just how just nervous I got around people and really becoming a sort of volunteering in youth ministry. And I had people speak into me and give me opportunities to speak. I realized, Oh, this is kind of cool. I, mean, I still get nervous every time before I speak. It doesn't matter if it's to two people, which is actually it's harder to speak to two than 2000, you know, or 20,000. I'm, I get Your nervous. Feedback. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, I did a zoom teleconference the other day and that was, there was no one that was even, that was worse because I couldn't feed off of them um, and get any feedback. But uh, so I just kind of got grown into me. And now like you mentioned the more, I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a market now. Because like you said, people would rather pay someone to do it than do it themselves. So, I mean, just candidly, since we're speaking candidly, I, you know, you get to a place where your, your words are worth ten or $15,000 for a 30-minute slot. I mean, that's where I want to be. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I can do the hourly rate, and that's a pretty good hourly rate. 100%. So, yeah, it's kind of it's culmination. And now I just say this job, I say yes. Uh, one of the, our actually board members challenged me in this current job. He said, show up where you're not expected. And that's been really good advice because you show up, you show up early, you follow through, you actually answer emails, you, you know, typically, you know, small things, manners. And uh, people think you hung the moon. It's like, I'm just, you just do the ordinary things remarkably well. And, you know, you end up in places that quite frankly, I don't deserve to be in. I love it. So let me, um, let me ask you this. So the question I always ask folks at the end of a podcast is if you could go back to 18 year old, you wide eyed, bushy tailed walking onto Clemson's campus. Um, if there was one piece of advice you could give yourself knowing all that, you know, and knowing all that, you know, about yourself, what's that, what's that one piece of advice you would give yourself? Ooh. Here's my, uh, here's the sentence that came to me. Just, I mean, just spur of the heart type thing. I would tell myself that my purpose is not to work a job, but my job should work to serve my purpose. Mm. And so that's when I look at my different jobs, I mean, even since college, it, it all falls under a bigger sense of purpose. And so as I look for a, I don't, a quote unquote career path, it's more of, well, how do I do what I love to do? also understanding that it's still work. There's going to be stuff I don't want to do, but how do I take jobs and how do I say yes to jobs and how do I approach jobs underneath the bigger banner of purpose? And I've said no, uh, lately said no a couple of weeks ago um, to a lot more high paying jobs. And so sometimes I say no because I don't like the job. Sometimes I say no because right now 
my four 10 hour days are more valuable than going to five, five, five nines or five eights, whatever the math is. So that's what I would tell myself. I said, I would say that my purpose is not to work a job, but my job should work to serve my purpose. And that that piece of paper I get when I'm 22 years old may define the rest of my life, but, but it doesn't have to, because I'm just 22. And whatever that degree may be in, again, some people it works out where they, they climb, I hate using the term climb the ladder, but that's, that's their career field. They specialize in it. it. It works out for them. But that's just not, I've learned 10 years post-graduation, that's just not who I am. Hmm. Interesting. So we're up on time. Trey, yep. let the folks know where they can get a hold of you if they're interested. Huh. Uh, I'm on all the social medias. <laughs> uh, Trey underscore Burns, T-R-E-Y underscore B-U-R-N-S. Uh, find me on Facebook, Trey Burns. Uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, you can email me at burns.trey at gmail. I love meeting new people, love to connect. I mean, that's how you and I connected, you know, yep. mutual friend of ours from Seattle. Yep. Um, we actually reached out from LinkedIn of all places. Um, so yeah, I love just meeting new people and connect and people that think did not just the same as me, but also differently that can challenge me to think differently. So I think you, uh, I've enjoyed the podcast. I've definitely listened to, uh, thank you for what you've done, man. Just, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is kind of your side, one of your side gigs too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a, a side gig. I'd love for it to be a permanent gig. That'd be fun. Certainly. But <laughs> just go talk for an hour and a, for an hour a week and do speaking engagements and make, make a living off of that. But, um, I appreciate well, that. And I'll make, yeah. I'll make sure that all the contact is in the show notes. And again, for everybody listening, millennial-manhood.com. If you want to come check it out, info at mmcip.co. If you got somebody you want us to interview, you want to connect, um, advertisements you want to you want to holler at us we get a lot of those recently um constructive criticism keyword constructive don't just complain you got to offer a solution and outside of that we'll talk to you guys soon